Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. One of the things that uh, doing a series uh, does is it puts you as the preacher or the teacher in a position of having to talk about some things you normally would not talk about, which is a good thing. Because so many times in churches, we just kind of go around some scriptures and and topics and all. And in the vineyard, uh, we don't make a big deal out of having to buy into maybe some uh, certain doctrines and all. We, we allow the people, you know, we allow you to read your Bibles and to make sense out of it any way you can. Because the biggest thing is that you love Jesus Christ and that you understand who he is. So when we talk about modes of baptism, whether you could be sprinkled or whether you could be dunked, whether it's immersion or whatever, we kind of leave that up to the churches and and we have our own convictions. When it comes to well, what you wear to church, we leave that up to you. Uh, of course, we don't seem to take it that seriously, but you know, you can, you can, it's okay, I promise you. And uh, even things like uh, the, this is going to really fly over some of your heads, but uh, some of you who have been around a while know these things, things like the rapture, the millennial rule of Christ, uh, you know, who the beast is and all this kind of stuff. You know, we're kind of like, most of the time, we're like, okay, you guys read your Bibles, get your own convictions about it, because we're going to stick to the main and the plain. And we're going to keep pursuing Jesus. Uh, But there are some things that we come across in the scriptures, and today is one of them, where we talk about something called the second coming of Christ that we need to talk about. And it involves some of these things. So uh, I know if you're new to church, if you're a new Christian, when you talk about the second coming of Christ, you go, what? It's not that maybe you've heard it. People have taken it for song titles, not for Christ, but they use it in other ways. And uh, also, like, the, you know, the Terminator, he said, what? I'll be back, right? And, and uh, you know, and, and so there are different versions, different ways that we've said the second coming. I mean, but we don't use that in our language. We just don't use that in our conversational, in our conversations. Like if someone leaves... Uh, your house and you just seen them, you don't say, when will your second coming happen? You, know? <laughs> you just don't do that. It, it's not even like, uh, I mean, I keep wondering when is the second coming of the Rolling Stones because did you know they came here in 1978? That's, there's a picture right there at the convention center right over here. Only 2,200 people got to see them. Anybody in here there that day? Yeah, see? What did I tell you? Yeah. No, you weren't even born, man. Gosh. You wish you were born, <laughs> but nobody's going around. I wonder when Mick and the boys, when the second coming is going to happen here. Well, it isn't going to happen here, okay? They're never coming back here, <laughs> but it's just not a term we use, and, uh, but it is. It is something that we need to take a look at, and in our journey through Surprised by Hope, uh, we're going to talk about this in our small groups this week, and we're going to talk a little bit about it in here this morning. Um, we're going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 16 through 17. And uh, we'll read this, and then we'll talk a little bit about that. If you flip your hand out over, there is a fill-in on the back side to help you kind of track along with me. And so let's read this, and I'll pray, and we'll jump into this subject. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Father, thank you for your word. We ask for you to be with us this morning. Help me, Lord, in my weakness. Give me the gift of teaching. Uh, Lord, we only want to hear what you want us to hear. And so it's coming through this frail vessel, and, and I do ask for your help. And Lord, let us see the hope of, this, of your second coming this morning. So bless your word, breathe life on it, Father, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You're the very presence of Almighty God. Come and rule and reign right here in this church today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage of Scripture is written to a church full of new Christians, and Paul is wanting to give them the hope of the second coming. Uh, These new Christians, they thought, this first generation, they thought that surely Jesus would come back really quickly that he was going to make it back within their lifetime. And so when it didn't happen and their friends started dying, then they started getting concerned. They were like, what's going to happen? Our friends are dying and Jesus hasn't come back yet. And so that's a portion of why Paul wrote this letter. He is trying to bring hope to them to say, look, don't get upset because he will return. And there's, there's a hope in that. And so... Um, You know, no one's going to miss this when it happens, right? You heard what he just said. There's a loud command. There's a voice, the archangel, the trumpet call. I mean, it won't happen without everybody knowing it. Get it? It's not going to happen, and everybody go, well, I guess Jesus came. It's just not going to happen that way. Trumpet, loud voice, everybody is going to know it. And so Paul is telling them, look, it hasn't happened yet, but when it does, it's going to be wonderful, and you will definitely know it when it happens. And those of your friends who know Christ, they're going to be raised. They're going to be raised up, and we'll be together. And so don't lose hope. That was, that was part of the purpose. Uh, he's using some terms here that I don't want to bog down too much, but I want to say this. Paul uses a play on of words with the word caught up. It really means to snatch away. That's what it means. Caught up because a guy, one of his contemporaries, a guy named Plutarch, actually used this same term when someone would die, he would say that their life had been snatched from them. In other words, the the hope of marriage, the hope of a good life, the hope of having children had been snatched away from them by death. And so Paul comes along and takes the same term and goes, no, 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 no. There's more life coming. And takes that term and kind of turns it on its head and says, God's going to come and snatch up everybody. You know, snatched into himself. And um, being caught up, being snatched away. And then he says, you know, he will come down. Now, this term in this passage of Scripture simply means this. It means his presence, his obvious presence presence as uh, against his noticeable, uh, you know, absence. That's what it means. In other words, when Jesus returns, you will know he is here. Now we know he is not here, right? I mean, he's in our heart. The Holy Spirit's here, but he's not here ruling and reigning as king on the earth yet. But when this happens, he will come down. That is, his presence will be obvious, and everyone's going to know it. Everyone. So you're not going to miss it. It's going to be loud. 
not going to be a little, you know, won't be any of that. It'll be louder than the Rolling Stones on stage. And everybody is going to know it. And so come down and also to meet when it says those who are dead and those who are alive will go to meet with him in the air. Let me, let me paint this picture for you. When they heard this in Thessalonica, what they heard or what they saw was that a sovereign king is coming back to their city. Well, what was the habit during this period of time? When a sovereign king was coming back to the city, all of the citizens of, the, of that kingdom, right, would go out the gates and go meet that king. Because the way they did it then was it would have been an embarrassment for the sovereign king to show up in town and nobody escort him in. And so this picture is of being caught up and going out to meet him in the air is the city, those that belong to him, going out of the gates, out to meet him, of which he is headed straight back into the city. You get this? So we are caught up with him as his, uh, you know, his associates and with him and those who love him and are welcoming his return, the king's return. And this is what the Thessalonians heard. This is what they saw. And then they all come back right to the city, which is earth, to celebrate that the king, the sovereign, has now shown up. That is a beautiful picture. And that is what we are invited into as followers of Christ, is that we are invited into being caught up and coming back with the king because it would have been just an insult for no one. If the king just showed up one day and everybody goes, oh, it's the king, you know, you just didn't do that. And so those of us who know him, those of us who follow him and look forward to his return, we'll be with him when he returns. We'll come back to this earth. We'll be with him the Millions and millions and millions of people. What an entourage it's going to be as we come back with him. And again, the Thessalonians, you know, they are Thessalonians. They, they thought maybe, uh, you know, it wasn't going to happen either because after the first generation went. Now, Paul didn't. Paul went pressed right on. They didn't stop. They just said, okay, it's in his time. He'll come back when he's ready. And even Jesus said, you know, I... When the disciples were asking him, he's like, I don't know. The Father knows the times. And so, obviously, we will know, though. It's not going to slip by you. You're going to know it. And if you're his, you're going to be a part of it. You will be a part of that grand parade, that grand welcoming on that day. Let me, uh, N.T. Wright, whom we're following in this, in our small groups and all, says it this way. You put it up on the screens. The Jesus they worship. <laughs> Sorry, Scott. <laughs> you don't have it? Okay, here you go. The Jesus they worshiped was near in spirit but absent in body. But that one day he would be present in body and then the whole world, themselves included, would know the transforming power of his presence. The Jesus who had been raised from the dead and exalted to God's right hand was the rightful Lord of the world, the true emperor before whom all other emperors would shake in their shoes and bow their knees in fear and wonder. Suppose they wanted to say, just as Caesar might one day visit a colony like Philippi or Thessalonica or Corinth, so the absent but ruling Lord of the world would one day appear and rule in person within this world with all the consequences that would result. And that is something 
to be excited about. Now, what's the big deal, the hope of the second coming? I got three fill-ins for you this morning. And the first one is this, the hope of judgment. That sounds odd, doesn't it? Because it's like, what? What kind of hope is that? You know, what kind of hope is judgment? Sounds weird because we're like, no, I don't want to be judged. And we all throw that around to, to, to everyone. Don't judge me, right? Don't judge me. I won't judge you. Judge. But listen, somewhere deep inside of all of us is this. I mean, we just went through this election and we keep looking for someone to come along who will be the faithful, righteous, fair judge. Every one of us deep inside have this desire or this longing to think that there's got to be a king or a judge somewhere who is so righteous and so perfect and so pure that when they judge something, we can trust it. We can embrace it. Now, we haven't found someone like that. We haven't found anyone like that. But one day we will. And it is something to look forward to. The hope of judgment. Now, we've been thrown, you know, a bit of a curveball on this by a lot of people in that judgment is an awful thing, but it's not. When the judge is the wonderful, perfect, righteous judge, it's something to look forward to, right? Because you trust him. You trust him to judge by his own sense of integrity, which the Son of God has all integrity. He gave his life for us. If anyone has the integrity to look and to judge, it's him, right? See, the place goes quiet when we start talking about this. That's why these things are like nervous because then we're going, what? I got to stand before Jesus? I don't know. What does that mean, you know? But listen, he's the righteous, perfect, pure loving judge but he is a judge he is a judge and he's coming back to this earth to be the righteous perfect wonderful judge and uh let me just read a couple of scriptures to you these are in your handout second timothy 4 1 in the presence of god and of christ jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom i give you this charge and paul charges timothy and in Romans 14.10, we read, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. What does all mean? <laughs> Every one of us. <laughs> all of us. All of us. I mean, uh, you know, that shouldn't... You know, here's what I love about Scripture and following God. There's always this wonderful tension, isn't there? And everything that we do, because we know, you know, we know in part, we just don't. And so there's this little bit of tension that pulls on us. It's, it's like I've said this before, and I got this from another pastor, that God is like the most amazing, loving, caring father, but he sure is a little scary too at times. You know, he's so big and so powerful and so pure and so good that you run to him for protection and you trust him and you want to be with him, but you know darn well he's pretty strong. And that he can take care of business. And so when we run to God, this, it, it, I think the tension's good for us, right? The tension is good for us. Because we need to get to know Christ in such a way as that the judgment is a good thing. A blessing that we long for the judging of Christ to come to this world. Because it has been, it has been mangled by man. Jesus is the perfect, wonderful, loving judge. And so we can learn to embrace that. Um, 
You know, it's only, I don't, yeah, I wouldn't want to be judged by anybody else, would you? Except maybe your grandkids. That probably worked pretty good, you know, your grandkids. Uh, but, you, you know, Jesus is the only one that knows everything from the beginning to the end, who gave his life for you, who went the full, he, he walked it out on the earth. He didn't fail one time. He never complained. He never turned his back on you. He didn't stop the mission that God had sent him on. He saw it to the end. He went straight to the cross. He died a brutal, torturous death, went into the grave, came out of the grave, and his first words to his friends were what? Peace. That sounds like a good judge to me. Peace. Peace. Don't freak out. It's all right. That's a great judge. When you walk into his presence, even after they had failed, when Peter had failed the way he did, and Jesus looks at him and goes, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Then sends him on the mission of a lifetime. This is a good judge. This is a judge we can trust. This is a judge that loves us. This is a judge who puts us in right standing with himself through his own work. And he did all the work to put us in right standing so that we can stand in front of him one day and actually receive that judgment. And in Christ, you know, it's, it's part of this whole tension is that we have now passed from judgment into life in Christ. But there's still that standing before him, isn't there? There's still that part that creates a little bit of tension that, to be honest with you, I, I think I need. I think I need. Because I remember, okay, God, you are. You're not like me. You know, you are so perfect and holy. And you have put your very spirit inside of me to pull me toward being what you've always called me to be. But he knows that. He knows your heart. He knows. So there's a place where we can embrace. We can embrace the judgment of God. The hope of judgment comes in the second coming. When the trumpet sounds, when he lands, when he comes out and we're called up, it begins then. That's when it begins. Second, there's the hope of reward. Because if you're going to have judgment, there should be a reward, right? Right? should be a reward. The hope of reward. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear. So that each of us may receive what is due us. For the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And the crowd went silent. (laughs) Come on, he's a good judge. He's a good judge. He's a loving judge. He gave his life for you. He's still working in you. His Holy Spirit resides in you if you're his. And he's wooing you and working in you and pulling you to get to know him better and to follow him closer. That's his care for you, and you can trust him. The hope of reward. I mean, this makes sense to me. Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that you can work and work and gain your salvation or your right standing with God at all. That's not what this means. There is no amount of work you can do to put yourself in right standing with God. None. You don't have it in you. You just don't have it in you. And that's why Christ came. That's why he came, because he knew you didn't have it in you. And so he comes to reconcile us. And then, what have we been saying through this whole series? 
the journey begins. Then you begin to walk it out. Then you begin to walk with him and learn what it means to obey him and to serve him. And uh, I know this is a little sketchy because we don't really know a lot about these rewards. What does it mean? And uh, who gets what and that kind of thing. And used to be, I heard a, man, a long time ago, somebody says, I don't really care about rewards as long as I can just have a little small house over in the edge of heaven. You know, if I could just make it there, you know. And I'm like, don't, don't think of it that way. You know, think of it as the invitation to come and participate with Christ on the earth where his kingdom is going to come in fullness one day. Think of that. He's invited you into that. And he's given you everything you need for holiness, to follow him, to obey him. He has given that to you. And he understands us as humans completely because he walked as a human as well as God on the earth. He understands our frailties. And yet he still wants us. He still loves us. He still includes us in his plans on the earth. And so somehow in this, when I read it, and, uh, and you know, so do quite a few other people, but, you know, there's some type of reward involved. Matthew 25, 21, and 23, we hear these words uh, said when he's, Jesus is using a parable, and he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, I'm just going to go through some things I saw in Scripture here as rewards. Okay, may, may not be, but this is, this, is the, this is what I read. You know, right in that, one of the rewards is to be able to hear your Lord and Savior say, Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Like. Whatever, whatever you had in your life, you did the best with it for the glory, for my glory, for life. You did the best. Well done. To hear those words. Remember the first job you had and your boss, you did it well, and your boss looked at you and said, well done. Remember what that did to you? I remember the first boss I had that did that to me, and I felt like I could go on and take the world on after that. And one day we will hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful servant. And then he says, you know, um, you have been faithful with a few things. So it's not like you have to be faithful with everything. It's the few things he gives you in life that he wants you to be faithful with. And uh, there's more we could talk about that, but the few things. But look, if you're faithful in the few, Jesus says then he is going to put you in charge of many things. It's like you get a promotion in the kingdom of heaven. It's like you took care of your family. You took care of the work that I gave you. You took care of this child. You took care of this situation. You took care of what I gave you. You stewarded what I gave you well. And so I'm going to give you more in the kingdom to come. That's why we're not going to be flitting around on clouds with harps. We're going to have things to do. I believe that because there are going to be more things given to us given to us and so not only do you hear well done good and faithful servant but i got more stuff for you to do here it is in the kingdom where i'm king now in my kingdom here on the earth here are some more responsibilities that you can enjoy here i mean i don't know what that's going to be i've dreamed about it billy graham says that he thinks and he hopes that uh 
there's another planet somewhere, and God's going to send him as an evangelist to it to preach the gospel. <laughs> he says, that's what I hope. He says, I don't know, but I know there's more to do, and, uh, because that's what he loved to do. And so whatever God has given us, the little that God has given us, that we're faithful in it, then part of the reward is maybe we get more. We get more responsibility. And that's a joy, isn't it? It's a joy. Work is a gift from God when it's done in the right way and when you enjoy it the way you should. And so, um, so we hear his voice say, well done, good and faithful service. I will put you in charge of many things. And, and then he says, come and share in your master's happiness. Wow. Have you ever been with a friend who got really blessed and you were there? Like maybe a child's birth or, or something, something happened really wonderful to them and you happened to be there when it happened. And you were so excited for them. Well, Jesus says, you know what? You're going to share in that. You'll share in my happiness. When I look out at the earth and the kingdom has come and my rule and reign has come fully, you're going to share in the happiness I have of looking at all of the many people that have come to serve me and are now a part of this kingdom. You'll share in that happiness. That's why there's going to be a party in heaven. On the earth. That's why there's a great feast. That's where there's lots of eating. There's lots of drinking. There's like, you know, a lot of fun. There's laughter. There's joy. That's why. Because we are included in his happiness. Matthew 25, 46 says, They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, what a reward is that? To eternal life. Those in right standing with Jesus will go into eternal life. Into his kingdom forever. I mean, I like these rewards. Do you like these? These are pretty good, right? And so these are just, these are the natural repercussions of us living for Jesus right now in the world, just as we do what we're called to do, as we live this life as humans, as fully humans for him. This is a part of that work. And um, in 2 Timothy 4.8, he says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That is a crown. Now, crowns don't mean anything to us, but a crown, crown carries with it a certain amount of authority, and it also could be the crown of like an Olympian. Uh, We have an Olympian winner in our church, you know, been to the Olympics twice. And to get that reef, to get that, on your head means you succeeded. It means that now you participate in the rule and the reign of whatever is going on now. You are accepted. So I see that as like God's just kind of a seal of approval that's put on us, you know, that you get that at the time. And over in the book of Revelation, there's these guys called the elders, and they have crowns. And they're doing two things. Every time you see them in the book of Revelation, what they're doing is either falling down or throwing their crowns. I mean, these guys cannot stay on their feet. They just can't do it. And the reason is because Jesus is there. And they just can't stand. They just fall immediately before him. And, and they have crowns that they lay before his feet. And years ago, I used to think, where does that crown come from? Because you, I want to give him something, you know. I want to have something to to place before him. I want to be able to say, I recognize you as king. You know, this is what I've been looking for. And here you are, Jesus. And so if we get a crown, if we honestly get a crown, we can give it back. We can give it to the real king. 
We can take it off of our heads and we can lay it before him. And we can say, you are the real king. But you see what kind of king we have? What kind of sovereign that we have? A gracious, loving king who includes us in his rule and his reign in the world to come and now. What he's invited us into. The second coming of Christ is going to be wonderful. It's going to be the best experience you've ever had in your life. And it's something for us to look forward to. In 2 Corinthians 10, 18, we read, For it is not the one who commands himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. The one whom the Lord commends. Now, in this part of Scripture, uh, he talks about those who have a sphere of influence that God has given them. Three times he uses the word sphere, and that is that each person has been given a certain area of influence, a sphere. And uh, what he says is those spheres, Paul telling the Corinthians, and listen, the church in Corinth was a pretty whacked out church, you know. But, I mean, Jesus still loved them, and was Paul's giving them good words and saying, hey, you know what, you've got these areas of responsibility, and as you take care of them, you will be commended by the Lord himself in the sphere that you have been given. What a great question to ask yourself this morning. What sphere? What sphere of influence have I been placed in? What responsibilities, what work, what influence do I have? And it's not a matter of how much. It's a matter of what you do with what you have where you are. We've said that before, right? What you do with what you have where you are. Not what I will do when I get more. Not what I will do when I get older. But what I do with what I have where I am. That is the stewardship. And in one day, the way I read this is that one day he's going to commend us on that. Take a look, and he'll commend us. So, uh, wow. In 1 Corinthians uh, 4, 5, says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. See, some of you are judging yourselves right now, see. Don't do it. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Sometimes people misjudge your motives, don't they? You had a good, you had a good intention for what you did. And one day God's going to come and he's going to show you. I knew your motive. I saw it. I saw how you were kind. I saw, saw how you tried to help. And now I'm going to commend you for that in front of all, in front of everyone. I will commend you. I mean, I kind of like this kingdom. Don't you? I kind of like, is there a little tension in there? Yeah, because some of us immediately go back to, I don't think I've done enough. Oh, man, I messed up one time. Hey, chill. Right? Chill just a minute. God knows we're human, right? He wants us to be fully human the way he always intended. So that's why his spirit lives in us and is working in us and pulling us more toward him. He walked as a human on this earth. He knows what it's like. He was brutalized by its systems, yet he remained faithful. And now he's called us to follow him. You are his choice. And if he chose you, you're able to walk it out. You are. He believes that his work in you will sustain you and make you victorious in everything he's called you to do. 
He's rooting for you. He's pulling for you. And we just need to step into it with excitement and gratefulness. The last fill-in is this, and that is the hope of transformation. The hope of transformation. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And you can go back to next week, last week's sermon to check on a lot of that. We talked about that. But, um, you know, this body is going to be transformed. The way we see life is going to be transformed. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 12, the beautiful love chapter, some of you had read at your weddings, says this, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, What is in part disappears, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. There will be a transformation in how you understand things and how you see things, and everything will make sense. Now there is so much mystery. Now there is so much that we don't understand, but the day is coming, and that day of completeness If you were ever told that had something to do with the Bible being put together, that has nothing to do with that piece of Scripture. That has everything to do with Jesus returning. That's when it's going to be complete. That's when everything is perfected, when he returns. And so when he returns, we will know as God knows us. We will understand. That's a transformation. Transformation in our bodies to be like Christ. A transformation in our minds and how we see things and how we understand things. We will finally understand it. And all of that occurs and comes in the second coming of Christ. So that is a great hope for us. Because there's so much we don't understand. Even about ourselves and about life and all. But one day, one day we will. And that day occurs when he does come back to this earth to set up his kingdom. We have so much to look forward to. I mean, we've got so much to do right now. All of this talk of rewards and all of this is just a kind of an encouragement for us to get about our Father's business. Remember, Jesus said, my Father is working, and I am working too. <laughs> and I only see, I only do what I see the Father doing, and that's the only thing God expects us to do, to do what we see Him doing and join Him. That is our our wonderful mission and our wonderful life here on the church as followers of his. It's meant to be an exciting journey. And one day when he returns, he'll bring it all together and it'll all make sense and it'll be a wonderful experience for all of us. Until that day, we keep pressing on and we keep saying, Jesus, show us what you're doing and we'll join you now. We'll do whatever we can with what we have where we are in the sphere that you've placed us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we do look forward to your appearing. Lord, we pray with the ancient church, Maranatha. Lord, come. Lord, come. Let your presence be known now. Lord, come. Let us sense your presence. Let us pass from this area in time, Lord, of your absence and finally see you face to face in your kingdom.
Lord, come. Lord, come. And it might be that all of this talk of this wonderful kingdom of God coming, of Jesus returning to earth and all has made you question where you are with God. Am I really in right standing with Him? And, and that's a good thing to ask. And, you know, you can take care of that right now. Because if you're thinking about that, that means that the Lord is wooing and working on your heart. That's His initiative. He chooses you. And so if that's you, I would love to pray for you right now. If you could stick your hand, just raise your hand and say, that's me. Pray for me, Tim. I want to know within my heart all is well with my soul. Just, yes, thank you, Father. Come, affirm, Lord, as, as our sister, Lord, opens her heart up to you. Holy Spirit, you come and you put the approval, the stamp of approval in our hearts. You let us know that we're okay with you. Would you come and do that even now? So we confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Then maybe for those of us who have been walking with God for a while, we're like, man, you know what? I just needed to be reminded of those spheres of influence. That what I have in my life has been given to me by the wonderful grace of God. And I want to be found faithful. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to help me today. And if that's you, maybe you could just stand and say, Lord, I'm asking you to help me today. Be responsible for the spheres of influence you have given me in my life. Come, Lord, and help me. Help me, Lord. We want to be found faithful. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, you see us. I'm standing to, and Lord... It's not that we fear punishment, Lord. We just want to hear you say, well done. Well done. Because, Lord, you have taken punishment away from us. We will not experience that. But, Lord, we want to be found. We want to be found a faithful and a good servant, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.